Hi, and welcome to the CDNFI podcast, where we discuss all things related to front-end optimization, web performance, and emerging technologies. Hi, I'm Mike, and today I'm really excited because I'm going to be chatting with Brandon Maffis. Uh, Brandon is a designer at Compose.io, um, formerly Mongo HQ. He's a core team member of Compass, and he's also the founder of Octopress. So I guess to get things started, Brandon, do you want to let people know who you are and kind of tell them about yourself and the projects that you work on? Sure. Uh, I mean, you already kind of covered the the real short version. So, yeah. um, so I, I will say one. that I am a designer who has, by really wanting things to work well and be nice for developers and for myself who's trying to build things, worked my way backwards into um, Ruby and other non-front-end technologies so I can make things really nice. And that's Octopress has kind of been my journey from the front-end backwards. Ah, and, that's... Um, yeah, it's, That's so really there's some fun stuff to talk about there too. Cool. Okay. So, yeah. Um, I mean, I guess really, like, in terms of Octopress, that's that's quite a, a big project to take on. Um, what are the kind of some of the more challenging elements of of Octopress of building that? And um, what are the kind of the, some of the hurdles that you came came up against, and how did you overcome them? Oh yeah, that's okay. <laughs> Well, that'll take a while. Um, okay, that's good. We've got we've got time. That's fine. Okay. Well, so uh, I guess I'll tell you a little bit about, about how Octopress began. Um, yeah. At first, it started out as uh, well. I was I had a WordPress blog, and this was in um, I don't know. I guess the summer of two thousand eight or so. Yeah. Okay. And uh, I I was redesigning it as you do when uh, so I, I did freelance contracting and. Uh, because of the stock market issues, uh, that was kind of a light summer for getting a job. Mm. And so I, um, I did what everyone does and polished their portfolio. And uh, in that case, I was trying to redo some WordPress stuff. And I found that I was just spending so much time messing around with WordPress and trying to get it to do what I wanted to do that I really just um, I wanted something simpler. Right, and especially okay. the deployment of it, like I had, I had been learning Git. Yeah. Um, I was working with, um, you know, I, I guess I worked by myself for a while and then started working with a Rails consultancy. And at that time, I got introduced to all these developers who were using, you know, awesome technology. You know, it's like the, when I talk to my designer friends, we're all like, okay, upload this to PHP and edit live on the server. Uh, you know, upload this, oh, sorry, to an FTP and edit live on the server and do all these, you know, just terrible things. And, uh, I met these guys and they all have, well, at that time we were using subversion, but pretty soon after it was Git. Right. And you could roll things back. You could merge stuff. You could <laughs> yeah. work in a branch. Like there's all of a sudden it's like, wow, this is how it's supposed to be done. Yeah. It's pretty and, revolutionary, isn't it? Right. And so I, so you know, at, at the time there was just not really a great way to do that sort of thing in WordPress, or at least nobody that I knew would, was figuring that out um, and talking about it. And so, I said, there's got to be some other way to do a blog where I can where I can deploy things in a sensible way and keep version history and you know oh, like I, the worst thing about so even just working with PHP templates and doing all the the redesign stuff there, yeah. Um, the thing I hated most was um, now I want to change some things and I don't know what state the database is in and trying to get that to work well and so um, at that time I discovered Jekyll. Yeah, and a buddy of mine named John Long, who um, 
he does some stuff with uh, with user voice. He's a, a designer there, and okay. he he's done a bunch of open source work. He's more like me. Um, he likes to do front end and back end, and he's written some CMSs and all kinds of things. So he he was I think he was playing around with Jekyll at the time, but he had written a rake task right that would use SSH to deploy it to a server. And I was like, oh my goodness, that's amazing. And that was like <laughs> the coolest thing I'd ever seen, uh, which is super simple, but it blew my mind. So. Yeah. I said, I've got to, got to get my hands on this. And so I rewrote my blog on top of Jekyll, and I was having so much fun. And then um, some other developer friends of mine said, oh, you know, that's, that's really cool. Would you mind making that available so that I can kind of put my stuff in it? And I was okay. like, I have no idea how to release software. Like, what are you talking about? How am I going to do this? <laughs> okay. So, so for, for listeners who don't know, Octopress is built on top of Jekyll, right? Yes, it is. Um, it's basically... Uh, Jekyll, right? So there's. I'll get to the stuff I'm working on with Octopress now. But what's what's currently out there at GitHub slash iMathis slash Octopress is a um, is Octopress with a bunch of defaults built into it that okay. I liked when I was making my blog. Right. And so that's kind of what I came out with, and um, that really started a lot of my journey into working on open source with other people. Um, Chris Epstein, uh, who created Compass saw my blog and wondered if he could fork it because I was just putting my blog source out there and saying, well, I guess people will figure out how to use the stuff that I did. And uh, he did, and then he wanted me to help him with some things. And after working together for a little while, he was like, hey, you want to help with Compass? And so that's how I got started there. Uh, right, okay, that's interesting. Uh, so, yeah. the um, So the, the main point of Octopress, though, uh, was when you would start a Jekyll site, you know, it it's, it's it's such a simple uh, static site generator. It's really nice, and it's and it's designed with the idea that you can easily add a blog. Yeah. Blog too, so it does stuff like pagination, and um, you know you can easily set up permalinks and all that kind of thing, and do redirects, yeah. uh, so you can migrate old URLs. But mm -hmm. uh, it it uh, so it's really nice. But when you get set up, there's like there were no at the time, especially there were there was nothing you could do except create an entire static site. And yeah. then you just have these files that can be processed. And, and the nice thing about it was you could use Markdown. But if you wanted anything, uh, any you know, nice CSS in there, or if you wanted to have, like, all, you had to set up all of your defaults. It wasn't um, shouting at you in any way other than this is where you put your files. Okay, so Octopress is kind of your way of giving a structure and giving more structure to, to Jackal. Right. Uh, so, it, so when you get it out of the box, you run a couple of commands. And you have a blog that has style sheets and um, has all, you know everything kind of organized and a bunch of defaults set up, so you get permalinks that are set this way. And you know, it so <laughs> it was it was useful at the time because there w just wasn't much that way. Um, it, you know, there wasn't much you could do to get a Jekyll blog going quickly, and yeah. so a lot of people liked it for that reason. And now there's a whole lot of stuff out there that can help you make Jekyll move yeah. more quickly and. And people have jumped onto Jekyll and um, have just made uh, on the. Uh, uh, there are a lot more people who are committing to it now, and it's moving a lot faster now that it's not uh, just Tom Preston Warner working on it. Yeah, and uh, it's just grown a lot. So a lot of things have changed since when I first started working on it too. Yeah, well, actually, I was going to ask about this. So, like with version two of Jekyll, there's a, there's a lot more kind of functionality in there. So. How how's that affected Octopress, and what new features would you then be releasing in relation to that? All right, so 
pretty quickly after I released Octopress 2.0, which is really the first reasonable version of Octopress to use. The, the one before that was like, this is my blog, fork it. There's no content in it, but everything else is. And this one is like, this is my blog, but it has a bunch of rake tasks that make it easy to turn it into your blog. So it's it's still, everything is still too baked together. Right now I'm distributing it as a Git repo. So in order to use uh, Octopress, you clone from the Git repo or fork it if you want to maintain your stuff separate. Um, but... Uh, but that's like a terrible way, in my opinion, to release software. And I knew that, but I had no idea how to, you know, to me, like building a Ruby gem is like, well, how do you do that? That seems like magic. And this, you know, this was like early days of um, Bundler coming out and people are arguing about should you, you know, how do you get everyone to uh, to make sure that all their uh, Ruby gems are the same across all the projects. And, and so Bundler comes out and it says... Um, you know, add this file, and then when you run bundle install, it'll make sure that you're using everything, and you run bundle exec before everything you do, and it will only use the latest versions of the gems. And so, I had I had enough to you know, and of course, then also uh, getting people, everyone to use the right Ruby at that time. It was uh, 1.8.7, which was super old, and and people were starting to like 1.9.3 had come out, which offered so much more in terms of uh, like UTF-8 support and things like that, and so. Uh, with 2.0, it was like, okay, I'm using Bundler to make sure all the gems are the right gem. Otherwise, you know, you just never know what's going to happen when you run. Uh, uh, yeah, so, and then uh, also added, um, uh, uh, I think I was using RVM at first, then I switched to RBNB. Um, and now, you know, we are all the way to Ruby 2.1, and it's super fast, it's super nice, and there's a whole lot, like, people are used to this way of messing with Ruby. Uh, the, when uh, when Octopress first came out, it was kind of like people were, you know, what is this Bundler thing? Why are you using RVM? Like, wh why can't I just run this on this other thing? And it was kind of hard to get that there. Um, but so now that Jekyll has changed a bunch and it has all these great new features, uh, and I've changed a bunch too. I have learned how to write gems. I've learned how I'm working on a CLI of, of actually several different ones. Oh, cool. I've written a, uh, a statics, uh, a static site testing framework called clash. Oh, that's interesting. And, so is that, is that released at the moment then? Oh yeah. I'm using it for all of my projects and it has, you know, beforehand it's like, I don't have tests for things. I was actually just having, yeah. I, I was <laughs> carting around a Ruby file that did a bunch of diffing and right. eventually I was like, I have to figure out how to write a test framework. So it's very simple. Um, but Clash is cool. Check it out. It's at imathis slash Clash on GitHub. Cool. Okay. Well, what I'll do at the end, um, when, when we post the, the podcast onto our blog, I'll, um, I'll include all of these links below as well so people can go and check out this stuff. Yes. So I, I was learning about, okay, how do you... So now I have most of my... Um, all Actually, all my projects are hooked up to Travis, and so it's doing automatic testing with Clash. And uh, I have everything that is a part of Octopress now is being re-released at the Octopress organization. Uh, and I'm putting, uh, so there's a bunch of rake tasks in Octopress that make it easy to automate tasks in Jekyll, creating new posts, mm -hmm. uh, generating all these kinds of things that you'd normally do with Jekyll. And um, uh, I'm, I'm moving all of that to a CLI. Right. So okay. it makes it much easier for, if you wanted to write like a front end GUI or something like that, you could interact with the CLI on the back end if you wanted to. Nice. Um, yeah, it's it's just much nicer to have that than having to run rake everywhere. Like it, that's that's like uh, people should add rake to their own projects if they want to add their own tasks. But yeah. I shouldn't be distributing everything as rake tasks. That's just yeah. kind of lame. <laughs> okay. So 
that the cool thing about so Octopress uh, uh, three will have a CLI. Uh, also, other things can e easily hook into the CLI. And I built another project. So, so sorry, Octopress three the gem itself um, is mostly just the rake tasks from Octopress. Right. It lets you add posts, lets you build, lets you do all these kinds of really simple things. I've actually separated out uh, the deployment into Octopress Deploy, which is another gem. It hooks into the Octopress CLI, so it adds subcommands. So you can say Octopress Deploy. It'll look for a deploy YAML configuration file, and it can deploy to S3 or any Git repository, or cool. it can use uh, SSH. Oh, that's really interesting. And that way, it's also a lot easier for people to contribute. So they can, uh, and they, you know, there are tests and things for these, so people can check it out, see how it works, and uh, and I can accept pull requests to really small projects instead of one that does everything. Yeah. <laughs> um, I've also built a, a system called Octopress Inc., um, which is that? INK. Uh, it is a theming and plugin framework because ah, right. Jekyll doesn't okay. really have one. So this yeah. is this is the thing that's designed for developers and designers who want to create themes and plugins. Wow! And cool. it's it's not out there yet. Uh, it's I mean it, it well it is, but it's not everything that I'm talking about right now is in like release candidate stage. Okay. And and so I am writing documentation and uh, writing examples and trying to make sure all that's put together. Um, so, like, this is—I'm on the cusp of the release. I'm really hoping to get it out soon because I have a baby that will be born in uh, about a month now. So, oh, congratulations! <laughs> yes, thank you. Uh, this will be number three. Wow. Yeah. So I'm uh, actually Octopress Two. Uh, when I finished that, it was just before my daughter Eloise was born, and uh, I was racing the clock there too. So that was fun. Yeah. Um, <laughs> okay. Yeah. Nothing yeah. like a baby to motivate you. I yeah, guess. that's what I was about to say. Baby-driven development. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> so Octopress Inc. is really cool because it allows you, as a theme creator or plugin creator, to manage, um, to put a bunch of assets like uh, style sheets, JavaScripts, and layouts, partials, you know, includes all these different things that you basically need to ship with any Jekyll plugin. In a Ruby gem, like it even has a, um, it even has a, uh, uh, what do you call it? Uh, it's like a scaffold. There we go. Okay. So yeah, it has cool. a scaffold that you can create a new project, a new Octopress Inc. project with that already is set up to be a gem. All you have to do is put your JavaScripts and images and style sheets and everything into that. And then it, and then push it up to GitHub, push it up to Ruby gems, and you've got a new project out there that people can easily use. And so what it looks like to use an Octopress Inc. theme, for example, is, um, if you have a any Jekyll blog, you can just add the gem for that theme to your uh, included gems on your Jekyll configuration. Wow, and when you run Jekyll build, it hooks into Jekyll and it adds all of the assets in real time. So if you say, uh, like let's say you want to use the post layout that ships with a theme, you yeah. could say um, add to your post layout. Uh, you know, on the layout configuration, you'd say layout. Uh, theme colon post and it will grab it from that gem and so whenever you know there are changes you can update that gem really easily and you get all the new stuff also um, Octopress Inc collects so if you have like several different plugins that use that and you can you know I've got one that's like a RSS feed plugin I've got one that's um, actually a whole bunch of different things out there but you can uh, so you could let's say you wanted to come up with a Twitter sidebar plugin or something yeah it can have its own style sheets its own JavaScripts and its own layouts and includes. 
So someone would just have to say include Twitter and then their Twitter name or something, and it would show their list. Oh, that's, that's and, really clever. Well, the, the other cool thing is all of those style sheets and JavaScripts for all the different plugins are combined and minified and fingerprinted. So the whole so, thing is going to be really lightweight, essentially. Yeah, and, and, and yeah, exactly. And you can even say, I want individual files or I want them all fingerprinted. You can combine it all. So, it's, so you have just one uh, smished up file that you can put on a, a CDN if you want to or whatever. Yeah. But yeah, it, it's, it's, without this, it's really hard to contribute to a, I mean, it, it allows there to be a theme community with standards that you can contribute to that you just know when you put this up there, it'll work. And yeah. everything everything can be easily overridden. So if it ships with an image or a style sheet you don't like, you just uh, put one in the appropriate directory, and it will read yours instead of the the theme. Yeah, and but it also sounds like it kind of might open open up, kind of using Jackal as a platform, and you know, like and actually kind of using a static blog. Essentially, it seems like it might make it more accessible to more people as well. Oh yes, I really hope so. Yeah. Uh, especially because it, 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 there's something I was doing a demo for Parker. He's a, a contributor to Octopress and to Jekyll, uh -huh. and uh, he has given me a lot of the confidence that I have to to try to learn all the things that I've been learning. Uh, so it's been great working with him. But I gave him the um, the demo yesterday, uh, two days ago, on Skype, and I said, "Okay, here's a new plain Jekyll site. There's nothing on it. I'm going to add a post full of some bacon ipsum, and then I just add this gem." and uh, hit generate, and then you've got this nice styled site um, with uh, RSS feed, archives, category feeds, all this kind of cool stuff that's just built into it. And it's all static, so it can be hosted anywhere. And, you know, the great things about Jekyll. That's, that's the, this, I mean, it sounds really interesting. It sounds like you kind of, like, there's a lot of big changes that are, that are going to happen with this new releases that you're going to be doing. Yes, it's kind of, uh, it's a little bit terrifying, <laughs> just because there's so many things that have changed. And one of the hard parts is, um, you know, I've, I've been using this, I've been building on this since, uh, I guess I think the first commit to the iMathis Octopress was in 2009, somewhere in the summer, maybe, I can't remember yeah. exactly. Um, and so I've grown a lot since then. Like I said, I, I'm a front-end developer who's worked my way backwards. And so um, I'm also having to deal with uh, the sins of days past and figure out you know, how can I make it easy for people to move from this version that I consider to be inferior in many ways to this new thing that feels very different? It's like, so you want to start a new site? You don't have all the plugins. You don't have all the configuration set up for you. So you've got to go and do all of that work, essentially, yeah. Right. Now, a lot of people may not be using half the stuff that comes with Octopress, and it may get in their way, and they may want to remove it. You know, they don't want title case, for example, or they don't, want, um, they don't need a block quote uh, plugin, so they don't want it in there. Right, and so there's the there's not really a good way to have the blog that you want with Octopress as it's shipping right now, but the uh, Octopress three everything is modular. It's all uh, a la carte, so you can pick what plugins you want, and, and so it's kind of in some ways it's easier for people to use, but in other ways it's just like you have to care more about um, creating your version yeah. of it. Yeah, it, it's a little more developer. You know, I mean, obviously, you just have to put this text in this file and then run this command, right? Yeah. But it kind of it isn't just uh, set and go in the same way, which I think is so much better. Well, I think, uh, yeah, I think that's the point, isn't it? I mean, this is the in many this is the idea of a framework, isn't it? A framework is supposed to give me structure. And then it's up to me to then modify it to for my needs. 
Oh yeah, definitely. And and the other thing is, you know, people would like, oh my gosh, right now the Octopress themes thing just makes me sad um, because <laughs> like so many people have written themes for it, and I have never written a good way to make a theme. And uh, on day one, I was uh, I, I had set it up so there's a hidden directory dot themes, and inside of that is where the main theme is, and you can run uh, rake install and then pass it a theme name, and it will. Read that, read themes out of that directory and copy them. So it's still all being distributed as in, in the same uh, repository. And so whenever I make updates to that theme, uh, you run rake update that, you know, point it to that theme and it'll update the files from that. But that was my thought was, and then I'll release another theme and it'll go in that directory too, and another theme, or people will <laughs> use a git submodule or something. <laughs> um, and that was, you know, I knew that I wanted to not already have the theme installed. Yeah. But I didn't know anything about how to distribute it separately and make it easy to add. Well, people have since then used the same really bad way of installing a theme. And so you go to a lot of these theme places and they have beautiful themes. And then the instructions say clone it to this uh, directory or at a submodule or whatever. Yeah. And then run install. And it, it still it copies all the files and you have to maintain it all. And so if the theme creator updates one, then and you want to update from their stuff, either your changes get overwritten or you have to deal with merge conflicts. Yeah. And so it's like, it's like, no, I don't want it to be so hard. Like, just <laughs> have a gem. All of the assets live somewhere else. If you want to overwrite them, it's easy. And then use your gem to version your theme. And so anyways, I, I, I want, I'm trying to provide something that works a lot better for everyone. Okay, yeah. The hard part is getting everyone on board to use the new stuff. I think that's it, yeah. I mean, that, that's always going to be a challenge when you're doing something like this as well. Um, like, you know, Bootstrap comes under a lot of flack online, doesn't it, for being very for being a bloated framework. Now, you know, I guess I guess it is quite bloated. There's a lot going on in there, but you know, it's better that it's that it's bloated than it's than it's not in a way because essentially you can then kind of craft it how you want. Oh yeah, yeah. It, well, I'm not, I'm not a fan of Bootstrap, so I'm not. I don't know how to <laughs> jump in there. Uh, but I, I want to be as unbootstrap as like as possible. Where um, I I want people to be able to have a plain Jekyll blog, and if they want to install one plugin from Octopress, they don't have to Do suck the, down the whole thing. Yeah, they just they can just add this one thing. And so I'm trying to release everything as modularly as possible for that reason. Yeah, I mean, I really, yeah, absolutely. I, I, people are, it makes me really sad when people I'll see a, a Twitter mention that says, "Should I use Jekyll or Octopress?" And I'm like, no, I don't want it to be that way. And yeah. I don't think it is, but it kind of feels that way to some people. Okay, yeah. So it's just so it's allowing people that flexibility to pick and choose the elements that they want rather than getting lumbered with the entire thing if they don't want the entire thing. Right, yes. Cool. I mean, that's, that, that's useful for people, right? Oh, yeah. I, it's, it's, it's what I always wanted to build but never really knew how to do. And I right. feel like this is... You know, it's it's one of the things that I mean, WordPress has struggled with a long with for a long time. How do we build a system that's easy for people to modify and yet also is structured and all that sort of thing? And it it maybe it's hit the balance now, but for me, it never did. Okay, so and, yeah, so so you're 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 giving people the you know the the benefits of using the framework, but without kind of hindering them in any way or hindering their project, I should say. Right. Yeah, that's the idea. Okay, I mean, this, it sounds really amazing, kind of what you've got on, and kind of. So, when when do you think this next release will be happening? Uh, it it <laughs> should better happen soon. <laughs> <laughs> I, right now, I am in the process of building a new uh, default theme, 
which uh-huh. I think another nice thing about this is by it's it's at uh, Octopress slash Genesis dash theme on GitHub, and if by by building it this way, um, I, my my hope is that it's easy for people to fork it, create their own version, and either install it from GitHub and or they can you know rename it and do another gem and and so I'm trying to what I'm the hard part is it's like Octopress Inc is a great idea and there's some amazing things you can do with it. But now that I've built this, I have to demonstrate how to use all this stuff, not just this documentation, but I, I need to show a working, some really good working examples that help people embrace what's good about this. And so Is that I'm trying to do some point where the community kind of the Octopus community picks up and kind of gets involved with those kind of things. Right. But right now, so if you use uh, Octopus 2 right now, there's already a theme. There's already all these plugins and everything. And if you try to move, you know, people are like, ooh, I'm going to try Octopress 3 now. It's like, well, there's not a theme yet. So you're going to have to write your own style sheet. So you're okay, going to have yeah. to do your own layouts. And so by creating the Genesis theme, it will show people this is how you create a theme and uh, and give people something when they leave Octopress 2 or whatever Jekyll blog they're using right now. It'll give them something they can jump onto that already has everything that they need. That sounds and so, Go on, sorry, carry on. Oh, I was going to say, and that's the, that's the really stressful part. It's like Octopress, the CLI is basically done. The deployment is basically done. Most of the plugins are done. And the thing that's left is me preparing everything so that when people come over, they're not missing any pieces. And that's, yeah. that's the really hard part because it's like, oh, I'm almost there. And then, of course, having to write all the documentation and update the website yeah. and all that good stuff. <laughs> so you've got all the kind of pieces of the jigsaw. You're just kind of at the stages where you're trying to piece them all together. Right. It's it's kind of one of those, do I want to release it now so that people can start using it or release it when it's ready to be released and when people will not barrage me with questions about, oh, how do I do this or I need this? And, yeah. and so it's sort of a defensive release strategy too. Yeah, I mean, but that's kind of understandable as well though, isn't it? Yeah, it doesn't make it any easier. It's still, it's still hard to be uh, because... You know, I haven't been I have not been a good maintainer of the of iMathis slash Octopress. Um and it's because it's not really a project that's designed to be maintainable. Like it's really hard to you know, someone will just send me a pull request where they've changed something to um have the new discuss uh JavaScript embed or something. And now I have to go test that and see if it works and you know instead of there being a separate repository that just handles that one thing. And so I will get tons of pull requests or issues about some things that may actually fix problems and some things that may just be someone's opinion of how something should be done. And trying to wade through those and test it all in one project is really overwhelming. Yeah, no, definitely. I mean, that's it, that's difficult when you're working on any product, I guess. Um, essentially, like with a paid product, that's kind of getting feature requests from customers and thinking, you know, like weighing up what's the benefit to all of the customers of doing this? So I guess with an open source project, you you have that same concern essentially, don't you? Right. And I think it's it's tricky for people who want to contribute because they go in and they, they don't, they, you know, there's so many things that they can change and, and so many things they have to understand before they figure out why this one thing is the way it is. Yeah. But by separating it into a bunch of separate modules, then it's pretty easy to jump in and immediately say, okay, this is what this thing does. And this is either obviously improvement or an opinionated change. Yeah, yeah. And that's what I—that's what I need so that I can actually maintain them. <laughs> and then others can help out too. So if there's some guy who really knows about, you know, I had to, I had to learn how to interact with the uh, Amazon SD, uh, Amazon uh, S3 SDK so I could upload this stuff. Right. Yeah, and 
it's like that is so far from my skill set and yet i spent (laughs) a good you know several weeks trying all these things out and figuring out how to write tests to prove that it's actually doing what it's supposed to do yeah um and so that kind of stuff is you know it's it's just challenging and having somebody might come along who really understands that and says oh well here's a great way here's this other thing we want to a great other system to deploy and that i know about and I can add this, and I can improve this, and I can be like, "Cool, dude, that that's great. I'm gonna stay over here and and make sure." It works. <laughs> I'm like, "You deal with that, yeah." <laughs> right, yeah, and it's just so much easier. And, but when it's all one project, um, you know, it's not like people can say, "I want to use this version where this thing didn't have that." And yeah. by separating it all out, it's just gonna make it so much easier for me and everyone else. Cool. Okay. Right. Well, I mean, I think, I mean, the. Basically, there's a lot happening with Octopress, isn't there? Over the next few months, I guess there's, people are going to see a lot of big changes. Um, yes. So what we will do is we will include all of these links for the things that we've discussed in the podcast. Uh, we'll include them in the blog post, as I said earlier, so people can go in, go and check them out and get involved. Um, and barrage you with more questions, <laughs> no doubt. Oh, boy. Yeah, that's actually one of the things that's been harder for me is figuring out how to effectively communicate all you know a lot of people are very good at looking at what octopress is right now and saying oh i can make it a little bit better and i've ever since that 2.0 release when i've started to understand what was wrong with it it's i i can't even deal with making it a little bit better i have to make it completely different to make it the way it should be and so communicating that uh to people is takes a lot of time as as you know people can tell who are listening to this podcast this is how long it takes me to explain where everything's going (laughs) And so being able to do that in a way that people understand and can jump on board and help out. Uh, Parker has been great in helping me get towards that goal. And uh, I definitely would love help from other people that understand this and think this is great and want to pitch in. So Cool. Okay. Right. Well, I mean, I think, I mean, this pretty much covered off a lot of, a lot of different things. Is there any other projects that you're working on in the future um, or, you know, that are coming up that you want to kind of tell the audience about? Thank goodness, no. Uh, I don't have time <laughs> to do anything else right now. Um, I'm sure it, it's maybe I'll update my blog. That would be a great project. Yeah. Uh, I haven't posted since I think 2011 because I've been wow. too busy working on everyone else's blog. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Cool. Yeah, okay. I, I really hope to be writing again soon at brandonmathis.com. Uh, but right now, it, the, I think the last thing I posted about was uh, update to a color picker. Um, ah, that I wrote yes, handy. HLS color picker, right? Mm-hmm. So again, we we can include a. Do you want to just tell the audience what that is? Ah, so HSLcolorpicker.com is a. It's just a really nice in-browser uh, HSL tool you can play with. It actually has HSLA now. Cool. And uh, what I was trying to understand the HSL color space uh, quite some time ago when I was working with SAS and the color transformations available there. And uh, I said, you know, I just need to build a tool to do this. And also I could learn some cool front-end stuff at the same time I was learning Backbone and everything. And so I built a site to help me pick colors. I use it all the time. It's great. Cool. Okay. I, I think we can, probably, we can probably use it, actually. <laughs> it's never yeah, it's that, nice. It's never that easy picking colors. Or no, it's not. And it's, sometimes you have a color, you're like, oh, I wish it was just a little bit more this. Yeah. And that's the great thing about HSL is you can really easily kind of push and pull a color in ways that make sense to us as humans, not some weird RGB spectrum, yes, uh, which some people say they sense. can totally understand RGB. I don't know uh, what don't cool know. toys they played with as a kid that formed their brain that way, but mine does not do that. <laughs> mine definitely doesn't do that. Yeah, I think I agree with you there, without a doubt. 
Cool. Okay. Um, well, I, I think that kind of pretty much wraps up the podcast. So thanks very much for joining us. It sounds it's really interesting to kind of hear what you're up to. And as I said, we'll include all of these links in the blog post so people can go and check out your stuff and get involved. Um, so thanks very much. Awesome. Yeah, thanks, thanks for having me. Thanks for listening. Be sure to check out more great podcasts over on cdnfi.com forward slash blog.